0: Welcome to the Beeson podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Well, on today's Beeson podcast, my friend Dr. Robert Smith, Jr., and I are here, and we are delighted to introduce you once again to one of our favorite preachers in the world today. Spend has to Beeson many, many times, Dr. Haddon Robinson. This sermon was preached a few years ago at one of our Beeson Pastor School. It's on the parable of the sheep and the goats. Dr. Smith, what are we going to hear from Dr. Haddon Robinson? Dr. Robinson is his typical
1: self in that he is going to use the big idea uh, throughout the um, sermon, weaving that thread throughout the fabric of the sermon, but does not expose the big idea uh, explicitly until the very, very end. Uh, Here is a sermon in which he is seeking for us to identify ourselves uh, in this sermon. He uses his personal history as an adolescent, uh, as a preacher in his middle age, and as a preacher who is even a senior citizen in trying to help us to look through the lens of that text and really see ourselves. I think that he is being very playful and yet very profound, mm. teasing us into listening uh, to the text. Application is woven throughout, and he does something that I think is very wise in that he interprets Matthew 25 through uh, the Matthean corpus of Matthew 5 mm-hmm. and says that this, this statement that Jesus makes, uh, blessed, uh, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world is not a throwaway phrase. And so when he does that, he is really helping us to see
0: ourselves. And all of a sudden, the light bulb comes on and we have an ha ha moment. I think that was the turning point in this sermon where he focuses on those words in the parable of Jesus those who are blessed of the Father. We often just read that through. Exactly. Know you've got to focus on that's what it's about. Exactly. Who are the blessed? Then he goes back to exactly. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. And what does it mean to be blessed? It means to be prostrate before God. Yes. It means to be open and vulnerable and recognizing your own need for God.
1: And bankruptcy that Bankrupted. we have no righteousness of our own.
0: What a lot of gospel message in this sermon about Dr. Haddon Robinson. Let's listen to the story of the sheep and the goats.
2: I am sometimes asked who I think the uh, great preachers are today. My wife says it's one less than I think. But I think if I were to be able to describe the great preachers, they're folks like you, who preach in the midst of a congregation and know their pain and hurt speak to people caught on the barbed wire of life, people with confusion and questions. You preach to their joys, you're there when they are married and when they have a child. You preach to their sorrows, to their hurts. And so I'm honored to be here to speak with you, I have no doubt that uh, many of you could stand in this pulpit and even better than I uh, speak a clear good word from God. But since it's my assignment to speak to you tonight, (laughs) look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. Depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? You reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let me tell you the history of this text. Not the kind of history you'll get in a theological seminary, I mean my own personal history. First time I ever remember hearing this passage, I was uh, in my early teens. My cousin and I were uh, in the search for a church that would minister to us. We defined that as a church that would have a basketball team and uh, we founded in the Broadway Presbyterian Church in New York. I discovered a lesson in that early day and that is that uh, every silver lining has a cloud because in order to be able to play on the team you had to go to Sunday school. It was there I came under the influence of Miss Lorch. Ms. she was a student of Biblical Prophecy. It seemed to me she particularly liked the passages that dealt with judgment, probably because of the boys that were in her class. And she talked about the judgment of the sheep and goats. I was back in my literalistic phase of interpretation, and I thought she was talking about real sheep and real goats and I, I pictured this whole thing like a county fair. It seemed to me it was a little beneath the dignity of Jesus to be sorting out animals, but uh, Miss Larch also told me that God counted the hairs on my head, and so if he was into that kind of trivia, sheep and goats made some sense. I came back to the passage about uh, three years later. By that time, i figured out that the sheep and goats didn't stand for animals, but for people, And that uh, in the passage the uh, Christians were sheep and those who were not Christians were goats. I didn't quite know why uh, the good people would be called sheep and the bad people would be called goats. I must confess that Fifty years later, I
0: still haven't figured that out.
2: I was up in western Washington a couple of years ago, and I was talking to a man who uh, raised sheep. I mean, he was into sheep, big time. Got about 50,000 of them. (laughs) I said, um you know you've been around sheep all your life when you think of sheep is is there a single word that would describe them and he shot back the answer he said stupid they are the stupidest animals you'd ever want to work with i don't know what to do with that those of you who are pastors might be able to help me so i you know tried it again i said well what about goats wasn't as quick with that but he thought and he said you know they're stubborn kind of self-willed animals well, sheep are helpless, dependent, defenseless, and, uh, not too intelligent. I, I came to the passage, though, and, you know, understood this was the last judgment. and I pictured it. I pictured it because this was the judgment of the nations that, you know, there'd be a huge crowd of people. And like the crowd that Would pack into Macy's department store just before Christmas. They'd be jostling each other. And then, uh, up on the balcony, uh, Jesus and some angels would appear. Uh, The angels I knew were all musical, they played harps, but a couple of them would put the harp down and they'd pick up a a trumpet, and there would be a trumpet blast. And then there would be the announcement. This is the judgment of the sheep and goats. Those of you who are sheep, get over to the king's right, those of you who are goats over to the king's left. Well, I knew that uh, for me and the you know, fellows in my Sunday school class, so, <laughs> that'd be easy. Uh, we'd saunter over to the king's right. What um, what troubled me was how this was going to come down with uh, my friends and my gang in New York. <laughs> I, I I thought about an angel who had the assignment of explaining all this to them. I mean, they didn't go to Sunday school, they didn't go to church, they didn't know anything about the last judgment, even though they regularly consigned one another to hell. I don't think they really thought it was going to happen. And so I, I pictured an angel, you know, trying to explain to these fellows what this was all about. Angel would go over and say, uh, all right, you fellas are goats. You go over to King's left, you're right. And I said, what do you mean we're goats? We're goats. What do you mean we're goats? How come we're goats? Well, it's the way you, you treated you know, the king, I didn't treat him. He, he was you know, hungry, he didn't give him anything to eat, he was thirsty, he didn't give him anything to drink. He needed clothes, You didn't clothe him. He was without a place to live, you didn't take him in. He was sick, you didn't minister to him, he was in prison, you didn't go to see him. You yeah, see, you got to be crazy. Well, you ain't never seen that king, He never been around our neighborhood. Angel would explain, well, didn't the king directly? But those the king you know, cares about, loves, uh, they were in your neighborhood. You didn't take care of them. I can imagine my friend uh, Andy Medina saying, well, "I went up to visit my brother in the penitentiary." That count? And uh, Carl McCallie saying, "Wait a minute." I mean, around my neighborhood, you take people in, man, they'll slit your throat. You don't want to do anything like that. No, I thought it was going to be a pretty hard sell in that half of that angel. Kind have a lot to explain. and uh, My friend just wouldn't, you know, get it. Came back to this passage uh, more recently, and I saw something that is uh, so obvious I missed it. And that is, not only do the goats ask why they're goats, the sheep ask why they're sheep. Wait, what to do with that? It seems to me that the, <laughs> the sheep are as confused as the goats. I mean, when did we see you uh, hungry? Thirsty. I mean, we see you in need of clothes, or sick or in prison, or do anything to help you. And I take it that by the king's response he is saying that what will really matter to the king are the little unremembered acts of kindness and love that we may not even think about but to count a great deal with him. And let me tell you what this text isn't saying. <laughs> this text isn't saying that if um, you go to the checkout counter in the supermarket and you see a box there for uh, needy children that you take your spare change and throw it in the box and when it hits the bottom they walk you away into heaven. <laughs> It's not saying that at Christmas time uh, you put something in the pot at the Salvation Army kettle, and uh, you know when the ring of the coins hit the bottom of the kettle, you bought your way in. If you know anything about the New Testament, you know that uh, you can't get heaven on the cheap. Not talking about our spare change. What he is talking about, I think, is found in that phrase where the king says in verse 34, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom. That phrase, blessed of my father, is not a throwaway line. I think it's crucial in the passage. It takes you uh, back into the early part of Matthew, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus introduces that story by uh, or that sermon by talking about people who are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to recognize your bankruptcy, to recognize your need, to recognize that you're a a debtor and you have no coinage to get you out of debt. Those are the people who enter the kingdom. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn, mourn about what? About their bankruptcy, about their destitute spiritual condition. These are the people who will be comforted. And then he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness in the Bible is not an inferiority complex, meekness is a a Godward attitude. It's to be in submission to God because of your need of Him. And they're the ones who will inherit the earth, this kingdom that has been prepared in the beginning of the world. The middle beatitude is uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Righteousness in the Old Testament and New Testament is not a thing, I mean you can't buy ten pounds of righteousness. Righteousness always deals with relationship. So that when we uh, read that uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted for him for righteousness, It meant that he had a relationship with God. And that relationship with God is shown in our relationship with others. So that we are always concerned about the sin that uh, destroys the relationship. It says we hunger, we, we thirst for that. We hunger and thirst for this relationship with God. Hunger and thirst to have a right relationship with other people. Because that is our condition. (laughs) Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. If you really want to have a relationship with other people, one of the things that goes with that is that you give mercy instead of anger and judgment. And then blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. This kind of righteousness that we need so desperately and that we mourn for, that comes because we recognize our poverty of spirit, not the righteousness that prays in the marketplace and makes long prayers, wants to be seen of people integrity it's it's honest and then uh, blessed are the uh, peacemakers for they shall be called the sons and gathered daughters of God the mark of uh, being in his family is you're always trying to make peace certainly you're always trying to help people understand that the warfare between God and uh, men and women is over. That God has signed a peace treaty, uh, the blood of his son, and he is satisfied with the death of Christ to take away the sin that separates us from God, and we need to be satisfied with what satisfies him. and we're concerned about peace with other people. Wherever we go as peacemakers we want to break down the walls uh, between Jew and Gentile, between Caucasian and African-American, between Catholics and Protestants. Wherever we go as best we can, we are trying to do what we can to uh, to bring people together because they, if they know God, ought not live in animosity towards one another. That's the mark of the, those who are his sheep. And when you are that kind of person, uh, little acts of kindness and love and generosity of spirit. Uh, come from your life as normally and naturally as uh, wool grows on the back of a suit. So I thought about all of that. I tried to picture what the uh, <laughs> that judgment will be like. I'm sure it's a distortion, but, you know, it's the best I could do. I can imagine uh, m- myself this. Uh, standing before the king, and the king would say to me, "Um, Robinson, do you have your your date book with you? I'd say, yes, Lord, I I do, I I know I wasn't supposed to bring anything with me, but, you know, I I brought it in and got past customs, and yeah, I do, I have it right here. The king said to me, okay, uh, look up uh, uh, March uh, 6, 1996. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, that was the day, Lord, that, that Newsweek magazine said that I was one of the 12 outstanding preachers in the English-speaking world. The king said, I don't know anything about that. I never read uh, news magazines. <laughs> I mean, you know how inaccurate they are. They have something like that in there. You couldn't believe it. Um, now, do you remember that um, they, after class, uh, as you were leaving, everybody else had gone. There was a young woman sitting one row from the back. And you asked her how she was doing and she said, "Oh, all right." And then you said, "Well, how are you doing really?" She began to weep. And she said that her um, her father had died. And a few weeks before her brother had also died. And she found the grief more than she could carry. And you stopped, and you spent some time and didn't keep another appointment, do you remember that? Um, yeah, I guess the Lord. I'm yeah, no, no, I don't, maybe I do. will say, I remember it. When you stopped and talked to that young woman, you were talking to me. Look up in your book, um, November seventeenth, nineteen eighty-three. Okay. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Lord, that's I remember that. Uh, that's when I was president of the Evangelical Theological Society. At the meeting in uh, in Dallas, I remember. I, I have it here. I read my paper and. The relationship of uh, hermeneutics to homiletics. King will say, Well, I don't know about that meeting. I never (laughs) I never attended many of those. I found them a little too stuffy. And I read the title of your paper, and I didn't know what it meant, so I didn't bother reading it. (laughs) But do you remember uh, before you left uh, Denver to go down to uh, Dallas, uh, your wife Bonnie told you about a a couple at the seminary. I allowed them to have a 26-day check and a 31-day month, They're having a hard time, and your wife felt that you needed to do something for them, and you put some money in an envelope and just wrote a note and said, um, we, we care about you, put it in their box, remember that? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think so. Well, Bonnie would do things like that. I don't, I don't think so. King will say, uh, "You may have forgotten. I remember it. You gave that money to those students. He gave it to me, and I really appreciated it, and I've never forgotten." There's going to be a lot of surprises at the judgment. I mean, a lot of surprises. There are going to be some people who are absolutely absolutely sure they've made it in. They'll come before the king and say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We performed many mighty works. We did miracles. <laughs> the king will say, I never noticed you're not one of mine. And there'll be some other people who will come before the king, feeling so embarrassed about the mess they've made of their lives, so ashamed of how little they've done, knowing that they don't have a ghost of a chance to enter his kingdom. (laughs) The only possible way it could happen would be by some amazing grace of God and they'll make it in. We stand before him, the things we think that matter, eh, probably won't matter much at all, and the things we take for granted but are simply the marks of God's working in our lives. We just take for granted. King will notice. There'll be a lot of surprises at the judgment. A lot of surprises. You call us, Lord, to walk by your Spirit. And we think that means that we will have great dreams and marvelous accomplishments. We discover that that means that we will be people. Who love, who have joy, peace. Marked out by gentleness and patience. We didn't expect that. Teachers Lord, help us to remember the values of your kingdom are very different.
0: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, Beesondivinity.com.